Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan. Wherever, whenever, however you're listening, we're glad to have you with us. And I'm very happy today to welcome for his maiden podcast voyage, it's Jeff Burr. Jeff has recently joined us here at Grace as a pastor elder. And Jeff, this is your first time. So tell us one fun fact, a little known item about your life and who Jeff Burr really is. Well, Bart, great to be with you today in the Grace Church family. Uh, I think one thing that might give people a little insight into me is uh, a formative experience my sophomore year of high school. Uh, I'm from Oxford, Michigan, the gravel capital of the world, a very blue-collar community. My dad was a truck driver, uh, drove an 18-wheeler, delivering chemicals to all of the auto manufacturers. So that's my context. And my sophomore year of high school, heading into my sophomore summer, My dad, my parents told us that we were moving, and we weren't moving far, just around the block, but it was a major fixer-upper, and dad had in mind for me to uh, spend my summer uh, refurbishing a house. Oh, exactly what you had in mind, I'm sure. I had just gotten my driver's license, and my dad had just ruined my life. (laughs) And uh, uh, it was hard for me to admit years later that that was a really really good summer. I learned some, some life skills. I learned some work ethic stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, God used that, uh, in some, some really profound ways to kind of make me who I am today. Growing up on a small rural six acre tract of land where we could have livestock and have a big garden, big garden. Uh, I, I empathize and I also am thankful like you with the kind of bringing up that I had. That's great. Those are great stories and great (laughs) lessons to pass on to the kids, aren't they? Well, Jeff, last week uh, we saw Moses pleading with God not to destroy the Israelites in chapter 32, as of course we're here in chapters 33 and 34 of Exodus now, but he's pleading with God not to destroy the people after they had committed the egregious sin, the, the golden calf and the worship thereof. But now here in chapter 33, God's going to drop another bomb. He, he suggests that he's going to send the Israelites into the promised land as he had promised, but he won't go with them. It seems that God, it, you could look at it and say, God seems to be provoking and, and carrying this offense on and on. Why would, would God be continuing to challenge the people like this? Isn't destroying them or not destroying them enough? I don't know if there's a definitive answer, Bart. Uh, it could be that God's testing them, that he's trying to draw them out to see if they will truly love him more than just his blessings. Uh, but I think there's also just a really powerful uh, statement here about the reality of sin. I mean, this is sin separates us from God. Uh, we see it in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve are put out of the garden, cut off from access to the tree of life. Uh, we see it with Cain, who, uh, due to his murder, was put out from God's presence this is, this is the, the reality of sin. And I think sometimes we just lose sight of that, that um, our, our sin is really serious. It's not just a, a, a minor foible, something that displeases God. God is holy. He cannot um, endure sin. 
And I, I think that just comes through so clearly in this text. Well, and, and sound from what you're saying, you can, can we also say God is not necessarily about taking all the pain away from mm-hmm. our our sin uh, and even nonsense. I, I've got a, a situation just last night. Uh, another of the elders here at church and I were with a uh, a lady who is dealing with cancer, and uh, it's not fun. And through no fault of her own, obviously, but uh, she was rejoicing because of the fact that it was pain in the first place that alerted her to a problem. Mm-hmm. And this can, God is, seems to be just continuing on. Hey, really understand what you did. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, Tim Cockrell, as he was preaching this past Sunday, he shared passages from Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, and also Isaiah 55, verses 2 and 3. They're reminding us that sin offers the allure of pleasure while concealing the long-run costs. And and he suggested, as he was sharing this, that sin involves substituting our faulty ways for God's eternally satisfying ways. People can sometimes come to the false understanding that God just doesn't want anyone to have fun. I, I know that's not a proper you know, understanding, but can you respond to that type of conclusion? Somebody comes to you and says, but Jeff, doesn't God want me to have a, enjoy life? Yeah. Yeah, well, Tim, Tim really developed that well on Sunday that sin never, it never pays what it promises. <laughs> you know, and I think that the language of a trap or a snare is often used. So there's a bait, there's something that's really attractive, there's something that's really tasty, there's something that's really pleasurable, flashy, uh, but behind that or underneath that is a, is a hook. So I, th- I think that's just so important for us to understand that we don't always have a good handle. We don't have a good handle on, on what is in our best interest. We, we can't see the hook oftentimes. And so God's word is so instructive to help us uh, think about that. Um, but, but yeah, God is, God is good. Uh, we see it in creation, God's design for how he wanted humanity to live, to flourish. Uh, but again, according to his guidelines, he knows how creation works. Um, and, 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 and when we follow his ways, that, that, that's really the path to, to happiness and joy. Uh, Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress talks about the, these two children, uh, passion and patience. Mm. And uh, this is one of the kind of the lenses in which a uh, Christian gets a view of the Christian life. And uh, passion is throwing a fit, you know, in his, in, his, <laughs> in his chair. He wants the toy. He wants it now. And he, I know that kid. <laughs> so, sounds familiar. He, uh, he, he gets it, and within minutes, he breaks it, and he's miserable again. So he got his little burst of pleasure. Patience, on the other hand, was willing to wait, and he got the better, the better gifts. And I think a lot of the Christian life is about delayed gratification. It's about not, not taking that little burst of pleasure, but waiting for God's good gifts to come. Um, and I think that just plays itself out in so many ways. You know, a person who goes to alcohol for to kind of numb their pain. Well, that that long term do- doesn't really resolve the problem. It just uh, it, it just creates some some additional patterns. A person who pursues an affair, uh, there, there's that again that burst of of pleasure and secrecy and such in all of that, and yet the regret that flows out of that. A video game kid that loves video games and they just want to play video games all day and it's what they enjoy but we just know that does not go to a good place i mean that doesn't produce any sort of uh you know long-term security <laughs> um 
a person who just plays video games doesn't uh, doesn't really go anywhere. In, you mentioned in, kids in, in life. I know some adults who need to hear that. <laughs> there, there we go. So again, the things that that really we want right now, we think they're going to make us really happy, but they they don't ultimately produce the satisfaction that comes with walking in God's ways. Right. And my mind, when you're talking there, my mind goes to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. There's a phrase in there about the sin that so easily besets us. Maybe a repetitive sin. Things keep coming up. It's very easy, like the Israelites. The Israelites kept saying earlier on, and it'll happen again. Wasn't there enough? I mean, didn't we have enough back in Israel? It wasn't that bad. Hmm they seem to forget real quickly how bad it really was. And we often do the same, don't we? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, once again, then, Jeff, we we have Moses appealing to God's promises and his character as he pleads with God not to send the Israelites alone to the promised land. And uh, he knows, and the people know, that would be just a real mess. So can we talk about how this discussion is similar to and different from his pleadings back in chapter 32? Hmm. A lot of the same arguments. God, this is who you are. This is what you've promised yeah, you're right, Bart. Both of his appeals were very God-centered. You know that he was talking about he's appealing to God on the basis of God's own reputation. God, what will the nation say? You know, if you destroy these people that you just brought out of Egypt, right? And and so uh, he's claiming God's promises. God, you said that you would do this, and so there's a very God-centered aspect to what Moses is doing in both of these appeals. Uh, it seems to me that one of the key differences between the first appeal, you know, God, don't destroy your people, <laughs> and the second appeal, God, please go with us, um, is is almost one of priority. Um, that he says we'd rather stay here. If, if you're not going to go with us, then don't take us up from the wilderness. We and, and Tim said it really well in his sermon. Rather be in the wilderness with God than in the promised land without him. Right. And, and I think you get a sense here of sort of uh, the, the, the priority in his mind, that that, uh, that, that was really what was, what was driving um, Moses here. And I, and I thought again of Cain. When God made his proclamation on Cain that he was to be put out from his presence, Cain, this hardened murderer, says this is a punishment. He just starts weeping, right? This is a punishment greater than I can bear. He understood what it was to live outside the presence of God. And I think we don't often think consciously about that. But to me, that's the distinction here is is the level of sort of passion as Moses appeals to God for his continuing presence with his people. Right. And it appears to me that in chapter 33, as opposed to 32, also we might add that the people are very actively repentant Hmm. and uh, here in 33 and not and we don't see that yet in 32 maybe it just hasn't you know come hit the narrative yet but uh uh, certainly the people are recognizing what they've done yeah and it's coming home yeah i like how it brings it across there when the people heard this disastrous (laughs) word right i mean this was horrible news that they were going to to be going without god and uh, yeah, you're right. There's a there's a corporate response there that was accompanied by seemingly genuine repentance. Well, and let's let's talk here. Moses is acting as the intercessor. Uh, 
we Tim indicated in these past two weeks that Moses's pleadings with God are are fulfilled in Jesus's intercessory work. They're kind of a, a foreshadowing, maybe a type of Jesus's intercessory work for us. And we see this in Romans eight thirty four, First John two one, or just two passages in the New Testament that speak to this intercessory work. Paul and John, respectively, in those verses, share that Jesus is interceding for us in the Romans passage, and then uh, John he, he says he's our advocate in the first john passage what exactly is jesus interceding for us about now hmm. well i think in the john passage it's clearly about our sin um he, he writes these things so that we won't sin but if we do sin we have an advocate with jesus christ the righteous one so clearly we have our sinfulness christ's righteousness and he sort of stands in the gap uh to to appeal to the father um, and, and I think in the, in the Romans passage, that's teased out a little bit, that Christ, Christ can serve as our advocate because he died and rose again. He died for sins, and the resurrection was the ratification that his, his sacrifice was accepted. And so Jesus brings that to the table. Um, I think sometimes, too, we, we, we lose sight of Jesus' humanity uh, we, we talk about it in you know at Christmas time the incarnation, um, and we talk about the bodily resurrection of Christ. That's significant, right? That, that mm-hmm. it wasn't just that his spirit rose, but that his body rose. Mm-hmm. Death was defeated. I don't think we often think about the fact that Jesus ascended to the Father with a human body. Bodily. That that humanity is represented at the right hand of the Father right now. Right now, right now. And so uh, Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient, not just for the sins we've committed in the past, but for the sins we committed this week. And he continues to intercede. And that brings up the question, one might hear that and say, okay, Jesus is interceding for us. Isn't the work done? Hmm. I'm. We, we say, and we use a scriptural phrase, I am saved by the grace of God. Um, and I'm saved that's once and all. But it sounds like there's a continuing work that Jesus has. I, the reason this I bring this up, just last night had a, somebody just make a comment. We are saved, but that salvation will be completed, and I believe this, yeah. and fulfilled upon Jesus' return as we enter into an eternity with yeah. Christ. Yeah. Can you flesh that out a little bit? The, you know, what, what's, what's yet to be interceded for? Yeah, yeah. So Christ's work is certainly complete, right? It's sufficient. Um, but there is a, there's certainly a past, a present, a, a future unfolding of our salvation. And I think even while our, while our sin doesn't bring condemnation because we are in Christ, our, we've received his righteousness, uh, sin still disrupts our our relationship with God, um, our fellowship with God, and so you know sin is still something that's needing to be addressed, and uh, and God stands ready to to forgive. I I was thinking again of a quote uh, by Luther. Well, well, it's in his Mighty Fortress hymn, right. where he talks about um, uh, the the devil, Satan, and that his doom is sure, and one little word will fell him. Right and I hear the music in my ear. Yeah, yeah, and 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 there's a lot of discussion about what Luther meant, but he kind of spells it out in some of his other writings, and that the the word there is liar. <laughs> you know, in other words, yeah. uh, Satan's the great accuser. Uh, it's mentioned here in these passages as well in Romans eight, 
and uh, he's accusing us, and the word that Luther responds and says, you're a liar, <laughs> because my sin has been, you take it up with Christ, because my sin has been dealt with, and he is my advocate. And um, yeah, I think this should, this should bring, we, we, we all, I, I live with low-grade guilt, like all the time, Bart. And a lot of that, there's a good sense of conscience that um, when we sin, we're bothered by it, we should be. Uh, but there's an element of that that is at the accusation of the evil one, and it's a record playing in our mind that I still have to do better before I can be accepted by God. And um, Satan's a liar <laughs> when it comes to those accusations, and passages like this drive us back to the reality of, of our standing. It sounds like we can place ourselves in that scene that is shown in First John chapter 2, verse 1, where we're at the defense table as the defendant. It sounds like... What you're saying, Satan is the uh, prosecuting attorney, right, right. and Jesus is saying, "God, it's settled." That's right. That's and right. just uh, now, that's a that's obviously an anthropomorphism, I guess we could say, of what's going on. But it, I think it's a good yeah. picture. It's, a, it's a practice out. we need to maintain for sure. And First yeah. John one nine precedes that, where it says, if, uh, "He is faithful." That's right. We're willing to confess our sins. So. I find it interesting that in Exodus chapter 33, when Moses asks God to allow him to see his glory, that he actually asks that. You know, to this time, Moses had heard God's voice. He had seen some of God, for instance, at the burning bush and in the cloud. But this seems to be asking for more. I, I kind of appreciate his chutzpah, uh, if you will. <laughs> What's going on with this request? Seems out of left field in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it, it does. It's a little bit foreign to us. Um, I, I think we, we so often value the gift over the giver. <laughs> you know, so we, we have a, a generous benefactor, and we really appreciate all the things that they, that they do for us, right? And maybe it's, a, it's an uncle who has a lake, a lake house, and we, you know, we, we get to go, and we get to water ski, and we get to you know, do all those fun things, and, and he gives us really fun gifts for our birthday and such. And, and, uh, but if we're not careful, we can begin to value the gift over the giver. And uh, I just think, I think Moses, again, models something here for us where he really, he really gets it. He really understands that all the good things that that we enjoy really flow from every good and perfect gift. James says comes right. from the Father, and so he's looking further up, not just at the immediate benefits, but uh, you know to, to God. And Augustine came to mind in this regard. Fourth and fifth century, uh, Augustine was. Um, was given over to, to sexual immorality. His mother Monica was praying for his conversion, and Augustine was just afraid to turn to God because he knew it would mean giving up all the things that he thought were making him happy, that were bringing him pleasure. Uh, he maintained this mistress, and and he just didn't want to give those things up. But he ultimately came to realize that it was only only God was going to satisfy the the itch right. in his soul, right? And he has this great quote in his Confessions. He says. Um, uh, you, you are my rest and my tranquility, speaking of God. Whoever enters into your, uh, enters into you, enters the joy of his Lord. Uh, there will be fear, uh, there he will fear nothing and find his own supreme good in God, who is supreme goodness. And then he, he says this about his own testimony. I slid away from you, God, and wandered away, my God, 
Far from your steadfastness, I strayed in adolescence, and I became to myself a land of famine. Mm. That I, I wandered from God, thinking I was going to gain all these things, and I realized I was, I was, I, I was, I was abandoning the very one who was going to bring joy and nourishment to my mm. soul. And Prodigal I just think, son. yeah, mm. I just think when we think about our our Bible reading times, not you know, not just as re- as some sort of rote duty, but this is where my soul is nourished. This is where I come back to, um, you know, to the true source of joy. And I align I, the anxieties that are uh, besetting me about life and not what I have to do today. And and I, and I come back and I just find my joy and my contentment and my satisfaction in God. And I just think Moses really, he really gets it here. Is it impertinent of Moses to ask that? And let me extend it out a little further. Is it impertinent for Jeff or Bart or anybody else to say, God, show me more. Mm-hmm. Give me more of you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's impertinent at all. I think uh, God is our father. He, he delights in his children. He, he wants for us to, to come to him. So I think what Moses is praying here is a bit bold and audacious, uh, but it's right on and it's after the heart of God. Mm. And uh, my mind goes to a couple places, Moses, or Moses. Paul says it in Ephesians 3, and whoever the writer of Hebrews says it in chapter 4 of Hebrews, talking about the boldness and the confidence that we have with which to approach God because we are his children. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, I see a man in Moses who in these three chapters, specifically 32, 33, and 34, makes some great requests of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and those words, bold, confident, extravagant, presumptuous, come to mind. So let's get real personal and real uh, to the you know, feet on the pavement. What are some ways we should be seeking to be more like Moses as children of God? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we ought to we ought to be praying big prayers, uh, audacious prayers, um, things that I heard someone define. You know, faith uh, once as you know, believing that you know God can accomplish what would be impossible un- unless He were to intervene. Right. So, you know, I've got an uncle that's in his mid eighties and he's been hardened against the gospel. And you know, do, do I do I continue to pray boldly that God would would arrest his heart? Right. Would I pray that not just pray for God bless the missionaries, but can I pray that God would would you know allow those Ukrainian workers uh, to be able to see you know uh, key people saved in positions of influence, mm-hmm. and that that you know that war would come to an end, or that God would use that that war to signal the tearing down of strongholds in that part right. of the world and, and the spreading of Ukrainian believers around the, the, the world for the advancement of the gospel, you know? So can we, can we pray very specific prayers? Um, and can we pray things that, again, are, are things that, that can't happen unless God were to intervene? And I think those are prayers that bring God glory, too, because when those prayers are answered, yeah, we, we have to recognize that that's nothing anybody could have accomplished apart from his power be audacious be bold be be confident in who you are and who god is asking for lots great i I really appreciate that encouragement well next week uh, jeff i understand we're going to be seeking to finish this part of our study in exodus uh tim cocker will be tackling chapters 35 through 40 dealing with the the place the tabernacle Mm -hmm. and the tools of worship for the people what are some things we can be thinking about here in the coming days as we prepare for that time together 
Well, again, Tim alluded to it this last week that we, when we approach God, we approach God on God's terms. And I think that's just a really critical principle that we understand. But I think practically speaking, you look at all that went into the, the, the worship of God in the context of the temple, the, and, and the, one of the words that comes to mind is preparation. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there, there's a lot that, that went into the, the, the gathering of the sacrifices. There were certain things that had to be done, proper vestments that were to be worn, uh, certain things the priests had to do to purify themselves before they could make sacrifice for the people, the various utensils and how they were to be cared for. Uh, I just think that, that word preparation is a good one. Um, how do you approach even a Saturday night? You know, as you prepare, okay, we, we can stop talking here now. You don't have to go that far. Yeah. Get personal. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think again, and the the, the the Jewish Sabbath concept was something that started the previous evening, and, right. I, and I think how you treat your Saturday night in terms of the rest that you get and the ways that you uh, quiet your your soul. Uh, you, 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 Pastor Tim's going to be boring or interesting in part, <laughs> in part on where your heart is, yeah. you know, and are you ready to to receive from him? So I think preparation is a great word uh, that, that certainly comes to mind as we think about, um, you know, how we approach God in worship. Purposefulness. Great. Yeah. Right. Hey, Jeff, thanks for joining us. We're at the end now, but really appreciate your insights and your willingness to come share with us. My pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Jeff Burr has been our guest for this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. We've been discussing a recent sermon here at Grace Baptist Church from Exodus chapters 33 and 34, and you can access Grace sermons and podcast episodes on demand by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking the Media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. That's contact at gracecedarville.org. And plan to join us next week. We'll be continuing our discussion of God's Word. We'll be endeavoring to finish our study of Exodus in chapters 35 through 40. And until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.